Thanks for leading us, you guys, and thanks for joining with us in worship. I'm uh, looking forward to talking from God's Word today and excited for how the Lord has been challenging my heart. Have you been reading through the Old Testament with us? Uh, what's he talking about? So on your worship notes, I um, want to encourage if you haven't been doing that, we've kind of got a plan where you can start reading along with us where we're reading in the Bible right now. And um, if you haven't been reading with us, we started in Genesis, we're about a month into it. And really to get started, if you want to start tomorrow uh, or today, go into 1 Samuel. There's a calendar over there, it's blue, and you can walk along with us. I encourage you to do that and just trust that the Lord will, will use that in your heart and in your life. So it was my sophomore year of high school. Do you remember your sophomore year of high school? Let me tell you, sophomore year of high school was a tough time of life. Am I right? Now, I was six foot tall, 130 pounds, okay, my sophomore year of high school. So basically think of like a string bean, and that was me, all right? And uh, covered with acne like every other sophomore was at that time. And very, very shy and, and kind of timid. And um, walked into, I think it was sixth period English class on the first day of school. My friend and I were late to class, and we have to go into the dreaded room of Mrs. Twig. Anybody know Mrs. Twig? Okay. Oh, oh, oh there, is, there are two people in the room. All right. Well, Mrs. Twig is a wonderful person. I'm glad that she exists and all that. Okay. Now, Mrs. Twig was a very intimidating person. She was a very large woman, and um, she liked to impose her power on other people, particularly in one area, and that was in the area of grammar. Watch out. She was like a grammar Nazi. You know what I mean? And so we walk into school. I think this was the very first day. My friend and I, Gary, we walk into class and we're late. And she says in her great, you know, overpowering, large voice, where have you been? So I, I spoke up. I guess I had been elected the spokesman of our late team. And I said, uh, 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 me, me and Gary were, were, were down at the guidance office. She said, who? I said, me, me and Gary? Who? And I thought, I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with my answer. I don't know what it is, but I said, me and Garen were down at the guidance office? Who? And now she's you know, like rising like a Lord of the Rings character, you know. She's getting larger and there's like this cloud behind her back. That's an exaggeration. And who? I didn't know what. Do you guys know what she wanted? Do you know? I didn't. Okay. I did not know. I'm like, me and him? I didn't know what to say. Finally she said, it's Mr. Knight and I. And I'm thinking, you were at the guidance office? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the deal here? She just had this way of just always intimidating people with her presence, particularly in the area of grammar. What if she'd have been there in John chapter 8? Open up your Bible with me to John chapter 8. And I want to show you a time where the creator of the universe 
Did he use wrong grammar? Did he, did he make a mistake? Is there something else at play? As you turn there to John chapter 8, let me tell you where we're at right now. We are walking through what you're reading, some of you, in the Old Testament. We usually study New Testament books. I'm more comfortable there. I've had more training there. I I understand really the the language and the, the doctrine of the New Testament. And so I naturally drift there in my own Bible reading and my teaching and my preaching. I love the New Testament. But as I sat down and looked at like the last 10 years of Center Point Bible Church, I'm like, we keep avoiding the Old Testament. Why is that? So I decided this summer that we're going to just do a, a flyover over the Old Testament. And I hope it will kind of prepare you to read your Bible in a better way. Now we're going to see today that God reveals his name to Moses. And when we translate it into English... Where we land at is, I am. And Jesus used that term for himself. In John chapter 8, um, I want you to go there with me if you have your Bible and, and see this sort of interaction that's going on. There's, there's a dialogue happening between Jesus and the religious, le- religious leaders. They're upset with him because of who he's claimed to be. And so I'm going to jump in here at John chapter 8 and look at verse number 56. Jesus said this, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus here refers to Abraham seeing him. Abraham, let me put it in perspective. We talked about it last week. Abraham walked the earth 2,000 years before Jesus. And Jesus refers to Abraham having joy of seeing this day. You're not yet 50 years old, they said. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Was this bad grammar? He shouldn't have said, I am. Mrs. Twig would just throw a fit. He should have said, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I was, or I could have been, or something like that. But he said, I am. In reality, here's what he actually said. Before Abraham, I, I am. He said, ego eme. I, I am. And notice their reaction. They picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus hid, and because of what he said, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Folks, never let someone tell you that Jesus didn't make it very clear who he was. Jesus made his identity abundantly clear to everyone who heard him. Everyone who was willing to hear, he made it clear. Where we're headed right now is back to our series in the Old Testament. So find the book of Exodus, okay? Genesis, Exodus. And and we've been walking through this last week. Remember, we talked about Abraham. And and the emphasis last week, if you you weren't with us, um, Mrs. Twig would have jumped on me there. I just used the wrong verb tense. Anybody else catch it? So Mrs. Twig, if you're here, I'm sorry. You taught me well. But in Genesis chapter 12... We bumped into Abraham, 
And at that point, we saw this, this idea of God promising to Abraham and the world that he would bless the world through Abraham. And we understood last week that that was the Messiah that would come as the descendant of Abraham. We're going to move forward today. We're going to move forward in the, the progress of Revelation. And we're going to move into the book of Exodus. Now, now you know Exodus very well, many of you. And, and you're familiar with some of the stories. But, but before we go into that, before we go into the accounts, I just want to, again, we're going to walk through 13 reasons why it's a good idea for us to study the Old Testament and I just want to take just a moment and hit these. And I don't have time to talk about this very much. It's on your worship notes. You can check it out on your own time. Okay, this is kind of like homework. But if you look in Romans chapter 3, we find here that God gives us his law. God provides his law. And you can think of that as the Old Testament to reveal to us our need for a Savior. So why should you study the Old Testament because it reveals the character of God. It's like the autobiography of God. God is the hero of the Old Testament. And as you read the account of how God interacts with man, you learn about the character of God. And you realize how much you and I fall short of him. For Abraham, he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Last week we identified that as justification by faith alone. The only way that we're accepted by God is because of the righteousness that God gives us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We do not come to God through religion. We do not come to God through any person. We do not come to God through any action. We only come to God by faith alone. This is what makes us Believers, Christians, because we have faith in what God, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that alone allows us to be accepted of him. We see this as we study the Old Testament and see how short we come. I've been, I've been impacted this week, in the last few weeks, in my own personal study, with my own sinfulness. And how fall, how I fall short of God's glory. I shocked some of you last week when I told you that by the time I was in junior high, by the time I was in junior high, I was a murderer and an adulteress. Wow. And so were you. Jesus made it clear, if you hate your brother, if you hate someone, you're guilty of murder. I was a murderer by the time I was out of elementary school. If you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery in your heart. I was an adulteress by the time I was in junior high. See, we need God. We need God. Well, we're going to move into the Exodus today. And um, this, this will be, we're going to look at a guy named Moses, okay? And, and you know him well. How many of you have seen ten, the, the movie The Ten Commandments? Anybody at all? Just a handful of us. A couple facts about it. Did you know that thing took, a, it cost $122 million to make? $122, and in 1956, $122 million. It's a great movie, okay? But I'm really kind of more, more drawn to The Prince of Egypt. 
How many of you have seen that? Anybody? Yeah, I love the movie Prince of Egypt. It was made for a mere 70 million. What a bargain, right? What a bargain. And it's an awesome, awesome uh, depiction of some of the book of Exodus. And so you, you know some of this story well. And, and I'm going to review some of it because you've been reading it, I trust, but, but I've been sort of laboring over, Lord, I'm going to talk about Moses today for 45 minutes. And, and what do you want me to land on? What, 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 what's, what should I focus upon? And I'll tell you where I'm headed, okay, where I'm headed. And where I'm headed is that, that, God, that Moses represents the reality that God desires to speak to us. God desired to speak to man. Abraham was all about God's promise. That's what we emphasized. Today I want us to see that God desires to speak to man. That God revealed himself. That God self-revealed. That God decided to step into the world and to communicate with man. That's where I'm headed. But I, feel, I just feel an obligation to talk a little bit about the exodus. So let's, let's kind of just bounce on that just a little bit. Remember what was going on. We had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Father, son, father, son, father, son. And God had pro- made this promise to Abraham. We talked about it last week. And then that promise was transferred down to sons. That God would bless through these individuals. And Joseph, as you, if, you, if you were a part of Sunday school as a kid like me, you know Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and taken off to Egypt. And there he was made a slave. But God remembered Joseph, right? And he raised him up into leadership in Egypt. And a great famine came into Egypt. And now Joseph was sort of running the show in Egypt. Now, Joseph's brothers are still alive, as is his father. They're now much older. They're, Joseph is a young man now. And his brothers come to him because there's a great famine seeking help. Remember this? And Joseph showed great grace as God, I believe, was working in his heart toward his brothers. But then when you turn to Exodus, okay, go with me there. If you're not already, I'm not there yet. You go to Exodus and something interesting happens. It says in Exodus, in verse number 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And now what happens is the, the people of Israel, the Israelites, you had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who is now named Israel. Okay, God renamed him. And his descendants now are the Israelites, and they're now in bondage. They're now in slavery for over 400 years. Think about that. Think about that time period. You know, we, we, we're guilty sometimes of reading the Bible and not contemplating the size and the immensity of the, of the accounts 400 years. What was going on in our country 400 years ago? Nothing. We weren't a country. 400 years. The Israelites are groaning. Are groaning. 
And God, in his grace, stepped into the lives of the Israelites. And he's going to now reveal himself to them. I want you to see what it says here. It's an important passage of scripture. In in Exodus chapter 2, verse number 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, remember that, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and it's not finished there, and God New. I love that expression. The, the children of Israel, the, 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 the promised people of God, are groaning before the Lord. They're crying out under the whip of a slave master for 400 years. And I'm sure that they thought God had forgotten them. I'm sure that they had come to the conclusion that God was dead, that God didn't exist, that God was not concerned. But the whole time, God was listening. And God was hearing. And God knew. We're starting now, this is, and this is where we're headed today. We're starting now to see that God is revealing much about himself. The Exodus, you're going to find it in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. It's going to take them 40 years to get out of Egypt into the promised land. And God is going to use Moses. He's going to use the events of their life to reveal much to his people. But I just want to stop here for just a minute. I want to, I want to jump off of this for just a second and, and speak to us as new, new believers in Jesus, as, as new creations, as, as part of the church. Listen, God still knows The Bible says that we groan on this planet. Romans chapter 8 says that the world itself is groaning. This world is cursed by sin. Our lives are cursed by sin. And you may have things in your life that just feel like they're too much. And you might be wondering, where is God? Has he died? Is he asleep? Does he care? I can make a stronger argument from the New Testament that God knows than than what I can find here in the Old. And I know that he knows because he said that he knew. But I can show you again and again from God's word that he's aware. He's aware. And he's with you. But I want us to see today what God is going to reveal. He's going to use Moses, okay, He's going to use Moses. Just a couple of things about Moses. You know, Moses wrote the, the, the majority of your, not majority, but the highest amount of, of verses, of words, of, of chapters were written by Moses. You know that? A large portion of your Bible was written by Moses. And Moses was a man who had a lot of limitations. He goes through these limitations. I think Moses struggled to speak publicly. He had a stammering tongue. He, he set out to, to free the Israelites by his own strength and murdered a person 
Moses had a very sinful background. And then he went for 40 years into obscurity as a shepherd in the desert and languished out there. And all of a sudden, one day, God chose to speak into creation. This is the character of our God. He wants to speak. He wants to speak into our lives. He's done it primarily through his word. I want to see that together. We already saw in Exodus 2, verses 24, that, that God hears this groaning, that he remembers his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and he knew. We see here that God has a plan, that God is working out a plan in the lives of, his, of the Israelites. He's, he's, doing, he's doing a lot of things. But the thing I want us to see here in verse number 24, make sure you look at it, okay? In verse 24, that God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, even when we forget, even when we abandon, even, even when we begin to doubt God, God never doubts himself. And God keeps his word. God has a plan. And what he's going to do in this great plan, first of all, is he's going to reveal his name. He's going to reveal his name. Look in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, they turned aside to see. So God sees Moses now respond to this, this burning bush in faith. When God saw this, God called to him out of the bush. Remember the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston? Moses, Moses, take off your sandals and all that. I don't know the rest. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid. He knew, if I see this God, I'm going to die. And the thing I want you to see here is, what, how does God identify himself? Simply as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is, he's saying, hey, all your ancestors, I'm that God. I'm that God. Now then, what starts is this whole dialogue where, where Moses is like, okay, I hear you and I, I see this burning bush. But jump down with me. Verse number 12. He said, I'll be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. He says, I want you to, I'm going to use you to bring the, the slaves out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? Now, folks, let's just stop there for a minute and think about what's happening here. Listen, the, the land of Egypt, the world that Moses is in, is filled with pagan gods. 
filled with pagan gods. And now, God has revealed to Moses that there is one God. He revealed it to Abraham, and Moses understood it, and God says, I am that God. And now Moses says, I don't even know your name. Listen, you know that you and I live in a culture that denies the very existence of God. If people around us even allow for there to be a God, he's this fairy tale in the sky, right? He's this distant, like, long gray beard individual who wants nothing more but to limit us and to keep us from fun, from things that bring us joy. That's the, that's the image of God that people have. But we need to know, and we need to communicate, but we need to really have it in the depths of our heart that that is a lie about who God is. God is going to reveal himself to Moses. I want you to see it here, okay? I want you to see what God calls himself. Go over to Exodus chapter 6. Same conversation, but God now speaks to Moses, and he says to him, I am the Lord. Now, we have got to be careful here, folks. You know that the Bible wasn't written in English, right? Steve already referenced this. The Bible is not written in English. And we see, I am the Lord, and we just think Lord just means, well, okay, that's God. Okay, God. Yeah, I am God. Listen, that is not what this means. It does not mean just a God. When he says, I am the Lord, God now is revealing his name and revealing himself to Moses. And I want to invite you to this God. He's not, he's not a fairy tale. He's not, he's not a made-up image. He's not something that man has just made up to bring comfort in the dead of the night. God is saying, I am the Lord. Let me show you what this looks like in Hebrew, okay? Here is the word, okay? It's called the tetragrammaton. That's what we call it because it's four letters. Those are Hebrew letters. See that first one? The first, which is on your right, by the way. Hebrew goes right to left. That first one is called a yod. A yod, okay? Now, we usually... We will say, we will, tra- we will use English to express this word, and we'll say the word Yahweh. That's what this word is. In English, though, in Exodus chapter 3, God said, my name is I Am. See, God is revealing his character and his name. Now, a couple more things about this word, okay? The best way to probably put it into English is Yahweh. There's another way that people do put this in English, though, and that is the word Jehovah. How many of you have heard the word Jehovah? That's where this comes from, kind of, okay? Where Jehovah came from was we took the letters here, the transliterated letters, J-H-V-H, and we now create that into Jehovah by placing in some other vowels. But in reality, it's much more than just the word Yahweh or the word Jehovah. Hear how... Hear how theologians define this. 
This word Yahweh means, now listen to this, the covenant-keeping God of personal presence, personal revelation, and personal redemption. God is trying to say, I am a personal God. You can know me, God is saying, in a personal relationship. Personal presence, personal revelation, personal redemption. Let me give you one example for sake of time. It's one that many of you probably know. It's in Psalm 23, verse number one. You know Psalm 23? Some of you guys memorize it as a baby, as a child. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. The personal relationship with God. Listen, I am very burdened with the American version of Christianity that does not see God as a personal God. And maybe you come from a background, a religious background, where, where this really isn't possible, where God just, he's not a personal being. He's, he's a force, or, or he's an imaginary idea. He's kind of like Santa Claus with a rule book. That is not who God is. This whole book, this, the whole Bible, is about God revealing his personal nature. It is God saying, I want relationship with you. God desires to have this relationship in your life. The whole I am idea is communicating this idea that, that God is self-existent, that God, God existed before anything else did, that God has always been, that God will never change, that God does never sleep, he never forgets. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. He is always the same. He is immutably available to you in your life. This is who God is. Jesus used this term for himself over and over and over. At least seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus stood up, faced Hebrew scholars in the face who knew the word Yahweh, and he said this, I, I am the light of the world. And they were like, oh, I can't believe what you're saying. You're claiming to be Yahweh. Yep. I, I am the bread of life. Mrs. Twig would be there. That's bad grammar. Wrong. But the religious leaders knew what he was saying. He said, I, I am the door. I, nobody comes to the Father except through me. I, I am the good shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Seven I am statements. But let me show you perhaps the greatest one of them all. You find it in the earliest gospel. Mark chapter 14. Go there with me. Mark 14 in your Bible. Now you might recognize that there are 16 chapters in the gospel of Mark. So we're definitely near the end. We're near the end here in the account of Jesus' earthly ministry and life. And we flash forward into Mark 14, 
about verse 60 or so, Jesus is now standing before these very religious leaders. He will soon be condemned to death and he will go to a cross and he'll die a wicked death. And the crime he committed, you're going to see played out right here in front of you. You're going to see Jesus commit the crime that will send him to death. This is better than any CSI episode. Here it is. This is what will send him to the cross. You want to know what it is? Is it saying not to do this or not to do that? Is it him, is him talking about marriage or, or talking about sex or, or talking about money or talking about health? Nope. None of that did it. Verse number 60. The high priest, the ultimate of the religious leaders, a Hebrew scholar, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And he made no answer. And now the high priest spoke to him. And now the high priest stands up. And Jesus is now commanded in the law. Commanded in the rules of that day to answer this question. He must answer this question. When the high priest now directly asks him this question. Jesus must answer. He says, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed. Are you him? Are you the Christ? And Jesus said this, Ego, eme. I, I am. He hearkened back to Exodus 3, to Exodus 6. He said, I'm the one that came to Abraham. I'm the one that came to Moses. I'm the one who raised up David. I'm the one who made you. And he goes on. And you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power. Whoa. They know Jesus has been calling himself the Son of Man for three years. He's been saying, I am the Son of Man. And now he says, you're going to see me at the, at the right hand of the power, at the right hand of God. And he keeps going. Coming with the clouds of heaven. Make no mistake. There is no doubt Jesus is saying he is God. Folks, guilty. That's it. Under the religious law, boom, gavel drops, guilty. And the high priest tore his garments. That's the equivalent of slamming down his gavel. And he said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Never forget, Jesus clearly said he is God. There's a clock over here in case you ever wondered. I'm calculating now. What do I want to skip in case you're wondering? Let's go back to Exodus. Let's go forward here and and talk about something that's very important. So Moses is is just back to back to our Moses character, okay? Our 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 real life person, Moses. Um, As I already shared, uh, God revealed a great deal through Moses. Okay? Like 121,000 words or something crazy like that. I forget what the number is. 
huge percentage of your Bible came through Moses. I want to go to a book, a different book, though, than what we've been. Go over to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, you know that evil book that the media likes to, to bring out every once in a while when they want to make fun of us, okay? And they bring out Leviticus and they say, see here it says you cannot boil a baby or a, what is it, a goat in its mother's milk. And how can that be and all these things? And, and we're made fun of because of Leviticus. And trust me, we can talk about that and, and I can help you through some of that, that obstacle. But I want to show you a part of God's character. That's your blank, by the way, I skipped, his character. But now we're going to his forgiveness. In Leviticus chapter 16, there is the description that God gave to Moses of the most important day in the Jewish calendar. As a matter of fact, over time, it became called the day. If you said the day in the Hebrew world, they knew you meant the day of atonement. Yom Kippur is what it's called. This was a day where, where all of Israel would practice a, a ceremony, a, a, you might say a worship service, where they would worship God for his character. And most specifically in Leviticus chapter 16, is it about, it's about his forgiveness. How God has forgiven, is offering forgiveness for man. Now what happens is, the, this is the one day when the, the high priest can enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. There's only one day when the priest can come in. On this day, this is that day. But then if we, as we go through the rest of this sort of account of what, what happens, there's, there's a great picture of what God offers. Look with me at, at verse number 7 in Leviticus chapter 16. Then he, being the high priest, shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron, that's, that's this high priest, shall, shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for, if you're holding an old King James, it might say scapegoat. Two goats. Now understand the, the world. This is, it's a different culture than what we live in. It's a different time period. It's 3,500 years ago. And it's thousands of miles away. And the, the, the Israelites have been practicing this, this sacrificial system over and over and over. And many, many animals were sacrificed as a covering of sin, pointing one day when Yahweh, the I am God, would come and be sacrificed on a cross. Pointing them a shadow of what God would do. See these animals sacrificed. That's a shadow showing you what God will do. See these animals sacrificed. It's a shadow. One day what I am would do. But this one is also special. So two goats, they come forward, Okay. And lots are cast, roll of die, six, oh, that's this one. And what they would do, verse number nine, Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. That's a really nice way of saying, slit its throat and drain out all the blood. 
Sorry, but that's what it means. Shed its blood. And that blood was a picture of what God would do. And it would be a covering of their sin. But there's two goats there. What about the lucky one, right? That the lot didn't fall. You know, he's there, hey, all right, rubbing his hooves together. Well, it goes on. But the goat on which the lot fell, for Aziel, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness. Jump down to verse number 20. And when he has made an atonement for the holy place in the tent of the meeting, he shall present the live goat. Here's that goat again. This is the goat that got lucky that day. Okay, its throat wasn't slit. And Aaron shall lay, can you picture it? Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. Do you see the picture? One goat is killed, slit the throat, dies. Shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The other goat, all the sin confessed on it. It is then taken into the desert and kicked in the backside and out it goes. A wild goat. The wild scapegoat. Carrying with it sin. Carrying with it. God is revealing, folks. God is giving a vivid picture of what he offers. Jesus, you could say, he's playing the part of two goats. He goes to the cross for sin. Blood is shed. A wicked death so bad that they literally made up a word excruciating out of the cross. Pain out of the cross and shed blood for you, for me. The unlucky goat died. He committed no sin. Goats don't sin, folks. I know they're stupid. You ever raise goats? Man, they're dumb creatures, but they don't sin. The other goat, all the sin confessed over it. Sin out into the wilderness, as you will, never to be seen again. As far as the east is from the west. So our sin can be separated from us. This is his revelation. This is what God is communicating. This is practiced every single year in the the Jewish calendar. Practicing this every single year. Reminder, Moses brought this from God and said, do this. Because this is the character of Yahweh. 
This is the character of I am. This is the character of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He offers us forgiveness. Jesus, he said this. I am the good shepherd. Now, you all know he didn't actually say that, did he? Mrs. Twig would have been upset with him. What did he actually say? I, I am the good shepherd. A declaration of his identity. I'm Yahweh. And the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. No matter where you are, no matter when you are, no matter who you are, this is the only way to life. This is the only way to forgiveness. I don't care what your past is. Can you compete with me? Honestly, can you compete with me? Were you a murderer by the time you were in junior high? I was. Were you an adulteress by the time you were in junior high? I was. Were you a thief? I was. A liar? I was. Can you compete with me? Nope. Because we're all equally in that sin basket. So I don't care what is in your past. I don't care. And more importantly than that, God doesn't care. He says, come. Come. I laid down my life for you. I'll take the sin and separate it as far as the east is from the west. Just come. Just come. Know that he is the way. No other way. Nothing I can add to it. Nothing else he expects of me. I don't have to bring anything to him. I don't have to offer anything to him. I don't have to do anything. I don't need anybody else to direct me. I just come to him. And the cross of Christ saves sinful men and women. Moses made it clear. Abraham's faith made it clear. And Jesus echoed it into this day today so that maybe you and I might respond. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this truth of the gospel and what it means. And Lord, that you have taken our sin, placed it on Jesus. And that's all that you call for is faith and his finished work. Lord, we admit that we are sinners and we believe on the finished work of Christ. And so we call out to you today that you might save us to all who received him. He gave the right to be called children of God. Thank you, Lord, for that grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.